Hello and welcome to The Planet Today, where we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. Today is Friday, April 7th, 2023. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here with producer and co-host Nick Janusa. Nick, what is going on? Matt, not too much, my man. Ready to enjoy the weekend. Uh, I already wished everyone a happy Easter last week. As we all know, if you're an avid listener to the show, so I don't have to do it this week, we're all set. All the business is taken care of, gotten out of the way. Yeah, you really did your bookkeeping early. You were, you were in <laughs> fact, the first to wish us a happy Easter uh, for anyone who listened on Monday. Yeah, yeah, so. just completely skipped Palm Sunday. I was like, yeah, we're, we can do away with that one. <laughs> I'm just going to wish a happy Easter a week early. Hey, and it worked. I, I've had a happy week, and I'm hoping that I have a happy Easter as well. I hope also that the listeners noticed we consolidated that intro a little bit. What used to be two sentences is now one, and it doesn't even sound weird. No, it doesn't. It's great. It's absolutely flawless. Natural. Can't even tell. Concise, unlike our cold opens. I just bought us like two extra seconds per (laughs) open. To do whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Speaking of doing whatever, let's do the thing that people came here for and podcast. Four quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Adrian Sons, Andrew DeMillo, and Ben Finley, who write 32 dead as tornadoes torment from Arkansas to Delaware for the Associated Press. Honestly, just devastating news for the first two stories today. So we will start with what happened this past weekend, where at least 32 people died in the U.S. as the South, Midwest, and Northeast were hit by dozens of tornadoes across two days. A massive storm system spawned these tornadoes and caused President Biden to declare several U.S. regions as major disaster areas, which that phrasing is important because it opens them up to federal resources and financial recovery aid. Tornadoes destroyed homes and businesses, trees and some neighborhoods in 11 states between Friday night and Saturday. This article tells some horror stories of residents of Arkansas, Tennessee, and as far northeast as Delaware surviving the tornadoes. Now, residents begin the path to recovery in some towns that were ravaged as utility companies have raced to get power back to homes and businesses. As of Monday evening, another round of tornadoes was expected to hit the Arkansas River Valley the following day, which I just want to talk about this for a second before we get into you know what happened on Tuesday. But imagine surviving a tornado and then just a few days later you hear there's a strong chance that your town is going to be hit by another tornado. You know, you don't even have time to recover mentally yeah. or structurally if your house was badly damaged, for example. And you have to then deal with that again. Yeah, it's similar to what happened earlier this year in Turkey and Syria with the three earthquakes hitting the same fault line in that two-week span. Mm-hmm. Just a brutal, brutal timing thing. And something that you just can't account for. Yeah, it's just... It's so terrifying and devastating. And, you know, in, in some respects, the fear of what's coming is just as bad as, you know, the actual 
event. And and obviously right. when it comes to physical damage, th- that's not really something that you can quantify in advance, but the psychological just terror of, is my house going to be here? Is my family going to be able to come yeah. home? And, and for some people, you know, they're able to evacuate and go somewhere safer. But for others, it's, you know, you go to the basement, you go to your bathtub and you just hope and pray that your family will be safe and your friends will be safe. Yeah. It's really just awful. And unfortunately climate change makes all of these extreme weather systems more powerful and more common. So these are the kind of stories that we're going to continue to hear for at least the foreseeable future until climate change is truly mitigated. Maybe they won't happen often, Maybe they won't even happen sometimes, but they're going to happen more often than they do today. And that's, that's the point to focus on. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, is it even like, you know, tornado season, is it even the time for, for things like this to be happening? I'm not even sure. I don't, I'm asking as a question. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure when tornadoes typically hit the, the middle. I, I don't know if there is a tornado season, like there is a hurricane season. Yeah. There could be. Regardless, it's horrendous what's happened um, across the U S and I, I just feel so bad for everyone who has been displaced or, um, had their business completely destroyed, um, or family members lost. I, I just, my hearts go out to everyone involved. Yeah. Same, same here. You know, I, I echo that. And I, I don't want, when I say that this is going to become more common because of climate change, I don't want people to think like, Oh, we're going to get desensitized to it. Cause it's always going to be devastating, but the thing that's important to remember is that behind every number, behind every statistic, there's a person. So I think the Associated Press article did a really good job of not just saying that 32 people died. It interviewed several people that were there that, you know, either lost loved ones or survived without really much damage or lost parts or their entire house. It's important to remember with any sort of tragedy you know, natural disaster or, or otherwise, all of these names and numbers are real people. No, absolutely. All right, let's move on to our next story from the Mississippi Clarion Ledger, where Brian Broom writes Mississippi Tornado Destruction, a breakdown of what happened in Rolling Fork and other areas. So two weeks ago on March 24th, a storm system moved across Mississippi, Louisiana, and Alabama and destroyed homes and businesses beginning around 8 p.m. The tornado was an EF4, measuring at about three quarters of a mile wide, with wind speeds up to 170 miles per hour. The tornado lasted for more than an hour and traveled almost 60 miles northeast in its path. After that tornado subsided, another tornado hit Mississippi with wind speeds of 150 miles per hour, registering as an EF3 tornado. Five other tornadoes were reported on March 24th across the three states, resulting in 21 deaths and roughly 2,000 homes destroyed. We don't really have much to add here that we didn't talk about in the last story. You know, it's, it's the same thing. It's, it's a brutal situation, and our thoughts are going out to all those impacted. What I will say is if you can't afford to help even a small amount, you know, five dollars even it all adds up if everyone who listens to this show donated five bucks to tornado relief charitable causes you know that's that's not nothing yeah like i said i I don't want us to get desensitized when i say we don't have much to add it's just the fallout from this has been 
I don't know. I, I was hoping that if we put this off for a week, you know, we, we said last week we we're going to talk about it on this episode. Recovery might, you know, give us some glimmers of hope. And, and there is, you know, some some residents have said that the rebuilding process starts now and they're working to get their towns back up and running in the same way that the utilities rush to get power back. But yeah, it's not something that is going to feel hopeful overnight. Um, right now, you know, focuses on the people impacted and, and the lives that have been lost and, and those that are now stuck rebuilding. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, maybe we will put some um, charitable causes in the show notes of this. Yeah. That's uh, a good idea. Show. Yeah, just to give people an outlet, um, give people a area to give. And like Matt said, the smallest amount helps a, a dollar, literally a dollar. Yeah. You know, if everyone gives a dollar, that's a that's a massive amount of money. So um, help these people that lost their homes and, and lost family members. All right. Our next story is titled EU was set to ban internal combustion engine cars. Then Germany suddenly changed its mind by Ivana Karasova for CNN. All right, let's move on to some environmental policy, talk about a little something that's disappointing. The European Union was the first block of nations or even a state or a region that I remember hearing about banning internal combustion engine cars. And the goal was to phase those type of vehicles out and ban the sale of new internal combustion engine. And that's abbreviated to ICE. We're just going to call them gas powered cars for this by 2035. The law was approved by the European Parliament in February and was considered a landmark win in climate change mitigation. The German government recently decided to include a loophole in that that would allow for the sale of these types of gas-powered cars as long as those cars run on synthetic fuels. Europe's own laws require the bloc to become carbon neutral by 2050, and this decision puts that goal in jeopardy. Cars and vans are responsible for roughly 15% of Europe's emissions, and the original plan was to stop selling more emission-intensive vehicles 15 years before that deadline hit. One month before signing the law officially, Germany pushed back on the idea that all gas-powered cars must be banned. Instead, it argued for engines powered by quote-unquote green fuels to be allowed. Here's where this decision becomes bad for more than just Germany. Germany is a leader in the EU, so other European countries, including Italy, Poland, and the Czech Republic, joined in demanding that exception. The EU's climate chief, Franz Timmermans, ultimately announced that an agreement with Germany on the future use of e-fuels in cars had been reached. E-fuels, aka synthetic fuels, are considered clean by their proponents, but they really just create different emissions and air pollutants. They're made from carbon that was removed from the atmosphere which offsets the emissions they produce, but still send the emissions back up into the atmosphere. E-fuels are also not produced at scale yet and require a lot of renewable energy to produce. Yeah, the, the way that you can think of it is, let's say that, just to make numbers easy, a car emits 10 units of emissions every time it drives. Let's say five of those are captured, brought back down from the atmosphere, and then reused in these synthetic fuels, it sends those five back up into the atmosphere. Five is lower than 10 that traditional gas would create. So it's better. Yeah. It's still not great because like 
you're still sending those emissions back eventually. And and I'm not trying to discredit these e-fuels because genuinely they are better than using non-synthetic fuels. But it's really important to remember that we have this other alternative that was supposed to be the main plan A anyway without this loophole that produces yeah. zero. So, you know, it's it's just frustrating when we see stuff like this happen where it's to me, almost unnecessary. And I feel like e-fuels are just not worth the effort to some people when we'd be better off just using, you know, your electric vehicles. Yeah. Like what was the purpose of putting so much effort and energy and money behind producing these electric vehicles if we're not going to actually do anything with them? If we're going to just continue to use um, synthetic fuels and avoid switching to the thing that we knew was going to be the future? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And, you know, it, it's important to remember that electric vehicles are still going to get more popular. They're still going to occupy like more and more of the market share of cars on the road. This was just something that was supposed to really, really accelerate that push. Yeah. Because we weren't going to be seeing any internal combustion engine cars sold 12 years from now. But now for a major country in in the EU to basically influence the rest of the EU and say, you know, actually we can sell them. It's gas that needs to change, not the cars. Is there some merit to that? Maybe, but we have a better option ready to go. The law was ready to be put in place and this just got snuck in at the 11th hour. So as you can imagine, Many European lawmakers were not thrilled with Germany, and climate advocates said that this just kind of waters down what was considered a bold and necessary action. Even some car manufacturers joined a group of dozens of companies in writing an open letter to the EU pushing against this exception. Volvo and Ford, amongst others, said first-mover companies have already significantly invested in zero-emission vehicles and should be rewarded for taking the inherent risks to decarbonize their fleet. It would be a very negative signal to reverse the political agreement reached last year. The argument for e-fuels, at least from the lobby group called the Federation of German Industries, is that they can be used immediately without the need for new infrastructure. Manufacturers of car components and engines, fossil fuel producers, and fuel transportation companies have lobbied for the exception because it would allow them to continue using their existing infrastructure and products. Yeah, and of course some manufacturers want the status quo because it's way easier to just continue making money than it is to truly innovate. And that's kind of what that open letter gets into. My whole rebuttal to the Federation of German Industries is great. We can use them now. Yeah. You just said that. So let's do it. You know, like there's nothing stopping us from incorporating these e-fuels more and more and still phasing out gas powered cars by 2035. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no need to go backwards on your goal here. Um, You set an ambitious goal. We're at the point where we can like do it. And now we're getting this back, this backpedaling. It kind of sucks. Yeah. It's kind of just comes down to two things. One the obvious one, money. Two, yeah. change is scary and like we need bold, fast action to really offset climate change and give us you know a fighting chance here. So of right. course it's going to be uncomfortable to say that we're going to stop selling gas-powered cars in 12 years. It should be uncomfortable because we're just changing an entire industry. But by allowing loopholes, 
and allowing for whether it's people making the decision on what cars to buy or car manufacturers making the decision on which cars to build, you know, by mm-hmm. allowing the status quo to continue, it kind of just limits our chances. And we're kind of past the point where we can pass on certain chances. All right. What do you say we take a quick break? And uh, when we get back, two more quick hits for you to get you into the weekend. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valaalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, the Biden administration sells oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico by Bill Chappelle and Jeff Brady of NPR. From the folks who brought you, we approved the Willow Project because we had no legal options to fight it. Big time (laughs) disappointment. Um, That was my little in a world movie intro. But yeah, this sucks. We saw 1.6 million acres of water offered at an auction and secured by the fossil fuel industry last week as part of a 73.3 million acre federal auction held by the Interior Department's Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. Before we get into the analysis or more facts, I know somebody's probably like, well, 1.6 million acres of water out of 73.3 million acres. That's not a lot. I, I mean, sure, this is a very small percentage of what was auctioned, but it's still disappointing that we're investing anything at this point into fossil fuels. Yeah. And it's worth reminding everyone that the Biden administration promised banning new oil and gas permitting on public lands and waters while campaigning back in 2020. The administration says that the stipulations of the Inflation Reduction Act require these lands and waters to be opened for auction as a concession to conservative Democrat Joe Manchin of West Virginia. Yeah. And I remember when the IRA was passed, you and I said, this is great news. We are happy about it. Yeah. You know, if the concessions to Joe Manchin are, are what it took to get this passed, this is still a good thing. That is true at the time. That is still true now, but we're still going to criticize things like this. You know, it's a legal obligation. This is the sort of thing that helped get the IRA passed. It's still morally wrong. And like our entire generation is the one who's going to feel these impacts. Yeah. So even though this was what, the cost of a greater bill was, we're still allowed to be upset at the concessions. One concession of the Inflation Reduction Act bars Interior Secretary Deb Holland from issuing a lease for offshore wind until her agency holds an offshore oil and gas lease sale, 
with at least 60 million acres offered. That's what you're seeing here. A 73 million acre auction. That way we can install a ton of offshore wind. So yes, this is going to end up being a good thing for the time being. Still pretty rough to see that 1.6 million acres are going to the fossil fuel industry, knowing that we're not going to develop the entire 72 million other acres with wind. Yeah. Yeah. And this sale brought in almost $264 million for the federal government. So the good news is that any leases resulting from this sale will include stipulations to mitigate potential adverse effects on protected species and to avoid potential conflicts with other ocean users in the region. The bad news is that limiting adverse effects does not cancel out any environmental harm caused by emissions of the soil, kind of like you just stated, Matt. Yeah, yeah. And I was about to say I completely agree with you um, now that you remind me that I kind of just said that. I don't know if, can I agree with myself? <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, yeah, this is just, it's disappointing. And when we find out what's going to happen to the rest, you know, maybe we'll say it's worth it. Maybe not. Yeah. But for right now, just looking at the facts in front of us, all we can say is 1.6 million acres of ocean water is going to get drilled into. We're going to see oil spills. We're going to see oil leaking out from the drilling sites. Yeah. Even in the best case scenario where this is like the cleanest operation of all time, which it's oil, it won't be. But even in that situation, this is still going to impact marine life. This is still going to create emissions in the atmosphere. Yep. This is just disappointing. Yeah, it really is disappointing. And like, I know we just talked about it, but, and it was worth it for the IRA to be passed. It was worth it, but it does suck. Um, and like you said, you can't guarantee 100% safety and 100% cleanliness when it comes to an oil rig. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. It's just not feasible. So I hope that maybe they have to staff it, you know, with twice as many people or, you know, whatever will help avoid those environmental harms from being caused. Uh, I'm all for it. So I would say one other thing I hope, I hope I'm wrong about this. And I hope that the rest of the land that was auctioned off all go, all goes to offshore wind or maybe even some sort of like marine preservation district where nothing can happen there. And I just want to sum this up with Oceana campaign director, Diane Hoskins, who had a quote in this article that pretty much says exactly what I'm trying to say much more succinctly. President Biden may claim his hands were tied on the sale because of the IRA's mandate, but he still has the opportunity to make good on his promise to end new oil and gas leasing in his five-year plan. Some good news came out of all this on Tuesday when the Biden administration announced a plan to develop renewables on former mining sites. This uses IRA funding and existing infrastructure like transmission lines to create new solar energy sites. So while I'm not happy to see oil and gas leases in the Gulf of Mexico, we don't have all bad news coming out of this segment. Um, Hopefully, the $450 million in spending on renewables is going to outweigh the oil drilling in the Gulf, and hopefully we see a bunch of offshore wind put in in the rest of that auction site. Yeah, agreed, 100%. All right, our last quick hit of the week is by Tara Subramaniam and Manvina Suri of CNN, who write, 
India welcomes its first newborn cheetahs in more than seven decades. Nick, what do you say we close this one out with some happy news? Let's do it. Cheetahs were declared extinct in India in 1952, but India's environment minister said that four cubs were born in the country last week. Two of eight rehabilitated cheetahs brought from Namibia to India's Kuno National Park are the proud parents of the cubs, so congratulations to Siyaya and Freddie, the lovely parents. India has a plan to rehome 50 big cats within the next five years to help repopulate the species at home. Environment Minister Bhupender Yadav called this a momentous event in India's wildlife conservation history. This also comes just a few days after one of the eight rehomed cheetahs died of kidney disease, which is a reminder that life is fragile and repopulating endangered species is extremely difficult. Yeah, you know, when when one animal in a species dies, sometimes it's it's easy to say, Oh, you know, it's just one cheetah. When there's only eight in the country. Yeah, that's tough. That's that's 12% of your population right there. So to see four cubs being born, it's amazing. It's a beautiful part of life. Um, and, you know, it's just really exciting to see India really taking this on. And like you said, they're trying to rehome 50 big cats in the country in the next five years. Yeah. Cheetahs are actually the only large carnivore that's ever gone extinct in India. And much of that blame can be placed on British colonial rule as settlements and plantations were set up after tearing down large swaths of forest and cheetah habitat. Habitat loss, poaching, and conflict with humans have greatly reduced cheetah populations. There are now fewer than 7,000 cheetahs left in the wild, according to the World Wildlife Fund. So stories like this seem minor, but it's important to remember the wins we have right now. Humans have had a tremendous impact on the environment over the last hundred plus years. I said this last week, but some impacts have been irreversible. But we also do have time to save some species that are in trouble because of our actions. And it just furthers our point from the last story too. Like these things affect animals and we will lose populations of important wildlife that sometimes can be unrecoverable. So, yeah. And it's also important to remember that like the lower animals on the food chain also need to be protected. I know the wildlife conservation society, when I used to work there, there was a big focus on charismatic megafauna is the term used. And those are your big cats, mm-hmm. your whales, you know, all of those species like elephants that you look at and you think, God, I love those animals. They are so worth protecting. But in doing that, you need to protect their habitat, their ecosystem. And the WCS elephant program, for example, also protects elephant habitats, which means that all of those vulnerable plant species and all of those smaller animals and insects that are really important for the food chain, but people don't really care about as much also get protected. So yeah, we do have time to save a lot of species that are in trouble because of us. So any sort of story like this where some people might not think it's a big deal. It's a really good win, and it's important to see that it's not all bad news out of the environmental sector. Yeah, no, there's some good stuff here. There's some great work people are doing out in the fields, and we have some of them on our show. So go check those out, too. Some awesome interviews. Check those out, guys. Hell yeah. All right, that'll do it for today's episode of TPT. We will be back next Friday for another episode. Until then, please go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can and follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Matt Norden. 
Nick Chanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout. Nick, where can people keep up with your stuff? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, everybody. Our logo is made by Kaylee Veet. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here next Friday. Peace. Peace.